ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Joe Flanagan and the Gang. This is John Zantini of The Gang, and today's episode is brought to you by BuyFlooring.online. When it's time to do your flooring, call the flooring brokers at 757-689-7779. These guys can help you find the flooring that you're looking for based upon the project that you have at hand. Give them a buzz or give them a shout out at their website at BuyFlooring.online. The song is brought to you today by ETC3. ETC3 is a Virginia Beach-based acoustic electric trio that specializes in creative interpretations of covers, old and new, as well as new original material. The song you're listening to today is called Welcome Home. This is off of their album that will be coming out here very soon. So stay tuned to the end of this podcast where we always play the entire track. So a shout out to ETC3. You can find them at etctrio.com. More about that later as we will put that all in the post and information later on social media when we announce all this good stuff. But for right now, we are warming up to Joe Flanagan and the gang. So welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Here is Joe. give everybody an idea listening to this podcast who we are and what we are i'm joe flanagan 31 years at channel 13 in norfolk and really loved my joe's job series and we're kind of playing off that a little bit in this brand new podcast john zantini owns bird mad media and that's kind of the beginnings of where we post this podcast and expand it from there as we get better and better and more confident about spreading it around john's dad is tony zantini and by the way, it's Joe Flanagan and the gang, and these guys represent the gang. Tony, uh, in the Old Dominion University Baseball Hall of Fame, great baseball player in his day, and a longtime uh, community active guy, uh, an all-around great guy. And then Alfredo Torres was on radio for a while, uh, Bob FM. He's got experience from the Norva, working uh, as a bouncer and all sorts of jobs you may hear about as this uh, hour progresses. And, and Alfredo had the great line when he said, you know, you're calling this Joe Flanagan and the gang. I'm a little leery being from the Bronx. I hear that word gang and I'm tempted to bring a knife to it. Should I bring I, a knife to this thing or what? I got it right here. I got it right here. I keep it handy. So that that's the gang. And, and this is about our fourth podcast. And we're so excited to have our guest today, Kathy Lewis from WHRV Public Radio, Public Media, started out 30 plus years ago at Wavy TV 10 as a reporter and then branched out into an agency and found her way over to WHRO, WHRV, and it was Kathy who came up with the whole idea of the show called Hearsay that she has uh, uh, founded, hosted, uh, and everything else for 25 plus years. And, and Kathy, in, in a matter of no time, you're going to retire from that. Welcome to our show. And how does it feel retiring from the show you founded? You know, thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. Um, I will tell you that as we as we are having this conversation today, I have six shows left, and uh, that's just 
incredible to me to think, and I did a little math, and over the 25 years, we've done more than 5,500 hours on the air. So 5,500 hours without really, um, you know, a script to speak of, because it's an hour, you you know, usually write a little something, something to get into the show. Mm -hmm. And then we just, you know, see where it takes us. But it's really hard to believe that there are only six shows left. I mean, I think it's the right time to to do this. I, I feel strongly we need to make way for uh, for newer voices. And I've gosh, you know, it's been the privilege of a lifetime to hang on to that microphone for 25 years. And I think those of you who have been in broadcasting know that that's um, that's a gracious plenty. That's probably more than I had a right to expect. So, um, you know, I feel very appreciative about that. But but, you know, the truth is. Um, things change and the environment changes and the world changes. And um, I think particularly over this past year, it was clear to me that I did not want to come out of this pandemic the same way I went into it. And so I did a lot of thinking and I've been kind of having this thing about there were other things I wanted to do. You know, there were younger voices and younger audiences we needed to bring into the equation. And um, so ultimately, um, you know, once they started coming, talking about coming back to the station, I've been doing the show for the last year from my house, which has been the best ever. <laughs> Honestly, the best. If I had known that 25 years ago, I'd have been doing that then. Oh, um, it, it has been great. But once they started talking about going back to the station, I knew that was sort of my cue to, to kind of make a decision. I knew I, I, if I was if I was going back, fine. But if I was going to leave, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go back and then leave. You know what I mean? So I figure this whole weird and horrible time we've been through for the last uh, 14 or 15 months, um, you know, was clarifying, I think, for a lot of people. Certainly was for me. Well, you were gracious enough to invite me to fill in for you on occasion. Oh, my gosh. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I got to say, the first time I filled in, it was an absolute sensory overload. I had never done radio. And all I could think of was this is a 58 minute live shot from television. You know, Boom. that's a great way to describe it, Joe. You're really. on and talk, 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 talk. And look in the window at the engineer and the producer giving you signals. Look up above that window. And there are three monitors that show you where who the callers are, where they're coming from. Don't forget. You got to say their name twice. Hi, Bob, calling from Hampton. What's on your mind, Bob? Bob, yes. It was, I was freaking out. <laughs> but my second guest was Jeff Lawson, and uh-huh. he talked so much, so much about the weather. I just sat back and soaked it all up and realized, you know what? This can be kind of fun. Dad, oh, but I yes. thank you, Kathy, for letting yeah. me do that because I had a ball. Well, Joe, you're one of the few people who could have who could have done it. So I really appreciate you doing that. Sorry, Alfredo. I think I. Oh no, 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 no! Please, I'm just going to say, Joe. You know what? That's when you know you got a good interview. Is when is when the interviewer just. I mean, the interviewee just keeps yapping. Yes, yes, yes. The more they talk, the less you have to talk. And uh, Chuck Dowd works as programmer over there, and he's the Uh one who uh, called me in his office one day, and he goes, "You know, Joe, when you're on, when you're on radio, it it kind of sounds like." a version of cheers on radio. <laughs> I would just bring folks that I do into the studio and talk. Unlike Kathy, edgy issues, politics, animals, you could cover so many topics so well, Kathy. I admired that. You really have a knack for, I, I for instance, the, the horrible protest in Charlottesville. I've brought this oh, example gosh. up before. You canceled two more days of other subjects and, ad-libbed and went right into three days of covering that 
horrible issue. Do you remember that? So, so well, Joe, I don't think maybe you all did. I know I didn't. Um, we certainly heard rumors that 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 there was going to be a protest and all the rest of it. I don't think any of us at the time understood the um, the societal shift that that mm. event triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a horrible thing to watch. I, I you know, I, I feel about it kind of like I do about watching the towers fall on 9-11 in the sense that I kept watching that over and over because I didn't feel like I could feel it deeply enough, if that makes any sense. It's like it makes total to, sense. Absolutely. I don't know how to say that any other way. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just it's so horrible. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I've been on that those grounds. I started to say campus and I know they'll all freak out if I say that I've been on those grounds, hmm. been in that town. My daughter went to college there and just the horror that uh, was visited on this place of learning and. Um, a place that I think I think a lot of us think college campuses are sort of these uh, idyllic, serene places. And mm-hmm. to have that just burst through our consciousness and to understand that that's been out there all along, but it was given voice in that moment. And to look at all the societal change that I think really started in, in that weekend, um, mm-hmm. you know, probably should have started earlier, but uh, certainly started in that. It, it was it was horrifying. And I, I don't know, um, Alfredo, you said you, you understood that. I, I really kind of had to keep watching that just to say, yeah, yeah, this really happened. And that's how I find, that's how I try to figure out what the meaning is and things. I, I it's just a very simple way to look at it, but that's. It reminds of me of uh, January 6th. I kind of had to keep watching uh, the Capitol yes. being stormed for sort of the same reason of what you're saying. Yes. Yes. I, re- I So January 6th was interesting because we'd come off I, right now. I used to do Monday through Friday, then Monday through Thursday, now Monday through Wednesday. And it was Wednesday, I believe, because we came off the show and I walked downstairs and I, I knew this thing was happening that morning but i don't think again i'm just maybe naive i don't think any of us had the sense that what was going to happen what oh, happened was gonna i definitely happen. saw that and i was still was just like is this happening in my lifetime right i mean and pretty, and you just sure this is happening in my lifetime <laughs> right yes and real time and i did i did i said and i kept screaming at the tv screen which is a very <laughs> effective strategy by the way <laughs> you know i kept screaming where are the police? What's going on? Why are they not? Where are the coordinate? What's going on? And I think there's still going to be a big old story to tell on that. I feel like that that is we have not gotten to the bottom of that one. But um, uh, but boy, that was awful to watch in real time. And then when you do the overlay of not only is this a, a terrible crime thing that's underway and, you know, people are in danger. And when you look at the time frame of how how little time there was between them getting the lawmakers out of the chambers and the rioters coming in. Um, yeah, that was, I, I, I don't, I don't think we understood maybe John, you did in the real time moment, how much danger we were in, but boy, it was pretty evident as the story started to unfold. And I'm not, and by the way, I'm not convinced that's over yet either. Oh, it's not over. It, it's not over. And, and, um, I'm kind of shocked, to be honest with you, um, that people didn't expect that to happen. Really? Why? Why? Because because if you look, and here's the thing, it, try to be unbiased. Yeah. 
um, and, and, and try to be not not looking at it from from a political um, a, a, a political lens. It that's been that's been bubbling right for, like for, for tons of yeah. them across the country. Yeah, I mean the, mm-hmm. the thing is yeah. that communities all over yeah, and and the only reason people are shocked to me is because of the group of people who did it mm. um, versus that it was done um, because of the fact that, you know what, that, that's been happening. Mm-hmm. Now I, I get that it's the capital and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, excuse me, that, it, that, that it's, it's where the, you know, the house uh, is. And yeah, no, that's been happening. We, they've been, they've been, they've been talking about, and, and when I mean, they, I mean, both sides have been talking about, uh, um, a, a, a quote unquote revolution, a quote unquote, uh, um, uh, you, you know, a, 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 sure. it's been, it's, it's been mentioned and it, yeah. it, it didn't surprise me at all. And clarifying, I, I knew all that was going on. I think the part where I just was gobsmacked was I figured there was going to be the protest. I figured there was going to be the walk to the Capitol. I figured they were going to gather on the steps. I think it was when they breached the building that no, I was like, whoa, I, right? I did not that. I, I, Me neither. I just and I think I thought I think I thought that once they got on the steps, there would be this phalanx of law enforcement folk be coming out and saying, no, 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 no. To, you, you might do this someday, but today is not that day. And I think that's what that's what I mean was was so shocking. Like I I didn't I was a failure of imagination on my part to think that they would not breach the building or that I think even that they would. Mm. You see, I'm just such a I'm a law and order kind of, um, you know, patriotic American. So my sense is we can have all kinds of disagreements about how things happen. But at the end of the day, you have to respect the democracy. You have to respect the... Oh, but that's not this, around anymore, Kathy. I, I, I yeah. know. That's that, what that, that, that really... That love for me. just being on this soil just isn't there. It's a... Uh, I, I, I agree. I, can, I, I think, can I bust in here to a second? Of course. Yeah, Tony. Yes, hi. Yeah, Tony, yeah, uh, Jeannie, you're though. on the air. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I am on the air. That's to- is that Tony coming from... Oh, my uh, gosh. From, from Venice Beach? <laughs> no, I'm in the attic. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice looking attic. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I want I want to talk about Kathy. I know this is uh this is all uh right now, you know, but uh but I want to talk about Kathy. Uh first of all, you came to um WNIS seven ninety in nineteen ninety three. But before right. that she came to Wavy Ten in nineteen eighty one from Marshall. So so I just want to get a little background on that and uh, what you actually uh, you were hearsay was an hour a day. Right. So there were other things you were doing. Right. Uh, exactly. So can you give us a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, hearsay has never been. Well, I shouldn't say that there was a um, so there was a time hearsay started in 1996. Um, excuse me. One second. I got. I still can cover my mic. Um <laughs> So there was a time in 19, you know, when we started hearsay that it was it was something we did very much on an experimental basis. There was a week of experimental shows called Hampton Roads. What's in it for me? And I I didn't realize that they were sort of using that as a kind of an audition or a sense to see if anybody would call in. Because before that, in the noon to one slot, we had been running uh, reruns of Charlie Rose, who had that time had a show on PBS. 
so they decided to go with a show that was great. And I, um, I, I was also, um, so, so I was hired to, to do the show, which was great. So for a, a good period of time, I was an employee there. I was doing other things as well. Uh, but I was like a part-time employee there. And the other things I was doing in my life at the time, in 2001, um, I started, um, uh, I was became the president of the Civic Leadership Institute, which I spent 18 years doing. This is an organization for executives that kind of tries to get them to say, okay, I've been successful in my professional life. Now I'm going to work that into volunteer service in leading sort of some community organizations and the like. But the night, but the WNIS episode was really interesting because, and I don't know how this, I don't know how I did this. Like looking back, I really have to say, I don't know how I did this because I'd always wanted to try my hand at commercial radio. I have always thought, always thought that there is a format that is somewhere between serious public radio and, and, you know, really just all music all the time. Like I've always thought that there was an opportunity in that mid space for a sort of combo format that would uh, talk about local news and talk about the community and bring people on and talk about people who'd been successful making change and all the rest of that. So uh, I guess I can't remember what happened. Oh, they switched formats. That's right. They switched formats. Um, and so I, I I think they approached me and said, hey, would you, I, I guess I made it clear that I wanted to try my hand at commercial. Yeah, I can't remember. It was early in the morning. I don't remember. So for nine months, so for nine months, I'd get up at three thirty in the morning because I was terrified. Whoa. Um, and I would go in, and the show was on from six, but I'd get there at five, and then so I'd do that show from six to nine. Then I'd leave and go do the public radio show, and then you know, kind of um, do whatever else I was doing, which was just, you know, because they're all part-time gigs. That's that's how I've lived my whole life. I'm, wow. you know, I got seven part-time gigs in the air at any one time. So, um, yeah, that's how I did. But I, it was so exhausting, so exhausting. I and I, oh my gosh. And I had a child. I mean, you know, I had this little girl and oh my gosh, it was exhausting. But I loved it. And I found out that I could run a control board if, you know, given enough training. So one day, Bob Sinclair, calls me in the office and said they you know it's like that was the first and only job from which i've been fired and but, kathy for, uh, for you and kathy. i have that in common wow that's crazy <laughs> fired by you bob sinclair yeah for, for, bob. yeah go ahead kathy, for, for our worldwide listeners yes bob sinclair owner president yes. general manager of wnis radio and many other stations. The man yeah, is a broadcasting genius. Yeah. I take, I, I give him full credit for that. Absolutely. And part of the reason he's so successful is because he'll have an idea. He'll switch up a format. But of course, what that inevitably means is that everybody who's associated with the old format has an invitation to seek opportunities elsewhere. <laughs> and so, um, so after the show one day, I come tootle it in there. I'm exhausted, but I'm come rolling in that office. He goes, you know, I think I'm going to change format. I think we're just going to shut this down and um, and we're going to wow. do that. I don't even remember. Maybe it was that day. I don't remember. But I will tell you, it was a combination of, oh, my God, I think I just got fired with, <laughs> oh, my God, I think I can sleep more. So, it was, <laughs> you know, it was one of those deals where I was I was. Yeah, it was very embarrassing and humiliating on a personal level, but on another level, it was like, I think I, can, I need more balance in my life and I think I'm about to get it. So anyway, it was a fun wow. show to do. I found out I could do it. I found out I know how to hit a commercial break if I have to. So I, I, it was like a personal, could I do that? Yes, I could. Do I want to do that? Probably not at six in the morning. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, when you when you came out of Marshall, you said it was a great journalism school. Yes. Uh, what what made you or what pushed you in in that radio direction? You could have gone, I guess, in the print, or you yeah. could have gone into radio. Well, you know, I'll tell you when uh, I was in high school, Watergate was was happening. And there's so many of us in that age group who were very inspired by the change that journalism could make. And that's why we chose to go into Woodward it. and Bernstein. Yes. Woodward and Bernstein. Um, it led to the resignation of President Nixon in 1974. So, you know, we had two years, I get maybe a year or so, whatever, of um, of watching a national drama play out. And when you realized, holy smokes, this whole thing started because these two guys got a tip and chased it down and chased it down and chased it down. And it resulted in uh, the, the, you know, a president resigned. I mean, that was incredible. Yeah. And uh, so, so that was, I think a lot of us who went into college at that time, really for journalism, really thought that. So when I first went in, I, I don't think I ever really wanted to do print and I'll tell you why it, you know, print is rigorous. I mean, it is rigorous and I really liked the idea of doing a different thing every day. I liked the idea of interacting with the public more and not, you know, a lot of print reporters are so skilled and boy, do we need what they do. But I didn't fancy myself spending, you know, eight hours in a library or at that point in a library searching records and stuff like that. So there was a little 10 watt, uh, the mighty 10 watts of WMUL at uh, Marshall. And so I um, I started there again, terrified and left my mic open the first time. So that was awesome oh, no. uh, and inauspicious <laughs> beginning. So I, I put the mic up. And for our listeners, that means that, you know, your your voice is coming out over the air. And I did my thing and I did it what I thought was OK. And the station manager standing behind me, you know, and I was intimidated. He was this older man, all of 22. And I left the <laughs> mic open and then I said, was that OK? So, yeah, at, with the mic open. So that was my inauspicious beginning. And then um, then I really decided TV was what I wanted to do because I, I loved the picture piece of it. And the way you could tell a story and what was so great, Tony, about Marshall is that, um, so, you know, so many people go to great journalism schools and God bless. But what I always tell young people is you should go if you want to do journalism, go to a market where they're going to let you do it while you're in college. And so Marshall was in that time a top 50 market, if you can believe that, because of the geographic area. It took in all of West, most of West Virginia, Eastern Kentucky and Southern Ohio. So it's a huge geography. And when you put all those people together, you get a market that's in the top 50. But it's not really a top 50 market in the sense that, you know, the newsrooms are you know, or small and what have you. So when I was in college, I was working actively. I mean, paid working in a newsroom. Um, my I collapsed and did a three year deal. But in my third year of college, I was working full time in the newsroom and and producing weekend news shows. And that was a terrible idea on their part. But but it, <laughs> but it was good experience. And um yeah, this the, I remember one night, Joe, you will appreciate this. Um, so I'm 19 years old. It's a Saturday night. It's my first time producing the weekend news. And because the newsroom was so small and what have you. And by the way, if you're in a larger market, you're getting coffee. If, if you're my age in college, yeah. you're getting coffee for people. So I'm producing a news show. And this was, by the way, in the film days, just to be very clear. 
so uh, we get we we were just transitioning to videotape. So um, you know, we get there and 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 they left me on my own for my first time, which was not smart. <laughs> and in that day, I know Joe, you'll remember this. You had to put everything in order. So you have these these carts and you take them into the engineering room. And you'd have to put them in the order they were going to appear on the show. And if it didn't, if, if you're, and then the producer goes into the booth and starts, you know, doing the show. So the anchor reads the open to the thing and the story. The little, the little videotapes had to be lined up in order. Yes, of where they ran. And, and the I cared far more about that than, you know, I mean, and the, the battle was we always, who were producers, cared far more about them getting an order than the person who actually had to put them on the air. I don't think they <laughs> cared. But so the guy opens, he starts the first story, this thing goes up and it's the wrong story. No. I'm by myself. I'm 19 years old. And the next <laughs> one, wrong story. Now, this happened like three times in a row. Oh. And and the the director, I remember he just died recently, and it's a great story because at that time, this was the 19 late 1970s, you could smoke in newsrooms and you could smoke in control rooms. And this guy was a chain smoker. So he just pulled every one of the switches down. He put a trouble screen up on the slide. This just lets the folks at home we're having technical know we're having technical difficulties. He kicks back, he lights up a cigarette, and he says, Little lady, you just take a minute, and when you figure it out you let me know and we'll go ahead oh, 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 oh my god so now oh, i'm thoroughly oh, humiliated but what i learned out of that was sometimes you just need a minute and that's all it took at one minute i could wow. figure out where the carts were figure yeah. out what we needed to do talk to the guy it just needed one minute with one minute of the world to stop yeah so that we could get back on the right track. Fair and I would say as a metaphor for life lessons, sometimes we do just need a minute to do that. Yes, but I'll yes, never yes, yes. Get back with that cigarette. Little lady, you let me know when we're ready to go. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, um, if I can, there is a piece and, and you guys in the last couple of uh, um, podcasts, you guys are always on me because I haven't been talking. So I'm going to take up my time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to. What is it? What do they say in the Congress? Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming, Reclaiming my time. My time. Yes. Go, the good senator from Norfolk. Yes. So anyhow, there's a piece in the uh, Virginian pilot back in March, which uh, had a, has a piece here about Kathy and about her show. And it says, if I can read this, mm -hmm. Lewis is known for keeping an air of civility in her conversations with all, even when topics get heated. I think of the show as a conversational welcome mat. Mm. When you come into the hour, you have a seat at the table and we'll, and we'll have some good conversation, a little fun and learn a thing or two along the way. She said in a statement about her departure, then she said, modern political debate is a gladiatorial contest. It really does very little to explore the complexities of governance and illuminate the best candidate to face them. I've always found that conversations do that. They don't need to be combative because when you let people speak, and I think this reveals a lot, they will reveal themselves. Very and good. I think we can take that conversation. Those two paragraphs right there, we can take as a podcast, Joe, uh, and really make this something that people will enjoy. Very good. You know, I do. I really do feel that way. I, I have had that experience so many times over the years where, you know, it's not necessarily a policy position that people might disagree with. 
when people show you who they are as human beings, uh, that is very compelling for people. And I, I have always found that to be a good measure of who a person is and how they will approach the issues. And, um, and, and you know, I, I, I've been asked a lot over the years and certainly here recently to moderate political debates. And I have to just tell you, I haven't done one in the last two years because, well, let me put it this way. When was the last time you ever heard after a political debate, uh, somebody say, wow, that moderator was terrific. That moderator was fantastic. No, it does not happen. Right. The, you know, the moderator always takes it on the chin. And I that's one reason. But the other reason is really it's just an oratorical contest. It, it doesn't give you any sense of who these people are as human mm-hmm. beings, what they value what the trajectory of their life has been that's prepared them for this moment. And I just think all those things are pretty important. Yeah, Kathy, let me ask you a, a question. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> these days, do you think, and, and I'm asking you based on, on the uh, paragraphs that, that Tony just read, mm-hmm. do you think that that the issue is that people speak from emotion and not from um, an, an actual, um, what's the word I'm looking for? An, 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 an actual thought-based kind of a platform? I think it's because we have become people who very much need a team. So I don't know why that is. We have become people who are very much afraid of saying, you know, generally speaking, I'm going to make a, you know, I'm on the Saturn team, but right. the Saturn team guy did a wrong thing. And I, I am capable enough in my, in my human thought to be in discernment, to be able to see that while generally I like the policies of the Saturn team, that thing that guy did is not good. And I have to say that I disagree with that thing, although I generally like the idea of the Saturn team. The problem is you step out like that. I think we're seeing that here recently. Um, you get kicked off the team. You're in a wilderness. And and I think we've just become people who are very comfortable with other people who think just like us. And so we are not able always to to employ the equal application of standards. That is to say, if, if I think it's not right for the Mars team to do it, then when the Saturn team does it, I have to step out and say, that's not right either. And that to me is a very simple skill of human discernment. But um, I, I think that our need to belong and and is, is probably greater than that right now. And that's unfortunate because it's hampering our thinking ability. But, but belong to what? You know, um, when you say I our need to just belong. be a vast belonging to something, whatever it is that the person might connect to at the time. No. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a piece of it. And, and frankly, I mean, look where we are at the moment. Look what we do as a culture to people who do step out or to people who do have a different idea. I think that it, with social media, uh, the costs are so deep to that that. I think sometimes it's just easier for people to to sort of stay on the same team. The other thing is that democracy is hard. I mean, it's hard. You've got to tolerate people who think differently from you. You've got to try to get enough people on the same page to get things done. And, and frankly, the thing that I find enormously disturbing about our present moment is I'm hearing more people articulate 
that they would rather um, just have like a, a strong leader that's not necessarily elected by a democratic process, just somebody who will fix things, do what needs to be done. Um, you know, if it, if it, if it is outside the constitution, that's okay, because we're really going to value um, the need not to think about it much and the security, the faux security, I'll say that we, we feel in that moment. Wow. That yeah, be, need not to think about it much. That, wow. That being said, in all your years of being on the radio and talking to people, how do you determine the truth and who's telling well, it? Well, I can't determine the truth because I'm one person and that's why I am so respectful and admiring of people who make it a career to kind of search out factually the truth. Um, I, I will say where, when, when you say, what is the truth, what I want to, I, I, the way I think about it in a talk radio format is what you what, what I, the only thing that I can really search for is the essence of a person or the essence of an idea. And then I have to let the listeners decide whether they buy that or not. So I think one of the ways that you, you know, you do that is, um, inconsistencies. So if I get somebody on who, and just use this as an example, who's a member of the Saturn team, and they don't have any problem with this thing that this person's done, but they're really worked up about it if somebody on the Mars team does it, um, that to me is a moment that, you know, I, I have to say, well, now just help me understand, which is one of my favorite questions, help me understand, because I really believe that. And also, it's a great way not to say, but wait a minute, you said, um, <laughs> and I have to say, you know, help me understand how it's okay over here, but not okay over there. And then that gives the person, you know, maybe a chance to talk that through. Or, you know, I've also had it be the case where somebody kind of stops and thinks and realizes, oh, wow, that is a double standard. Okay, I got to think about that. And I, I like to have conversations where it's okay to do that. I mean, life gets busy, we go through it and... Um, you know, we're, we're, we don't have time to sit for 24 hours a day and think deeply about the issues. So if in a nice way, a conversation, um, it, it, there's an opportunity for somebody to say, oh, that's my favorite thing. In fact, when, when we're on the air is when somebody says, wow, you know, I never thought about it that way. Huh. And it's never anything I've said. It's just the conversation you create. Somebody like I'll get a caller who'll call in and say, you know, and it's always better when they do this respectfully, but we'll say, you know, I hear what you're saying. I get that speaking to the guests, I get that, but here's my experience. And I wonder what you think about that. And the best times are when the guest goes, Oh, you know, I never thought about it that way. That's really helpful. Well, let me give that some thought. And then we kind of do this kind of, you know, in the moment, think through of the issues. Cause the one thing I know after 25 years of doing this on the air is that life is complex. It's neither on one thing nor another. And I think we have such a desire to make our lives simpler by making it all thing, all one thing or another, by being all on one team or not. It's a very easy way to organize your life. If you say you're either with me or you're against me, unfortunately, um, that's not how life works. Life is complex. And, um, you know, many things are related that we don't necessarily think are. Um, so my goal has always been just to kind of illuminate the corners of some of those conversations and help people think about, help people think about the idea that things might not be as simple as they seem. But at the end of the day, we're all humans doing the best we can to make it through life. 
Kathy, I got to tell you, I'm sorry, Joe, uh, but I got to tell you, it's fascinating the career that you've had, um, which we really kind of need to get focused back on, Tony. Sorry. No, no, no. And and it's not you. It's just it's your style. Like, I I, want to I want to talk to you. Yep. I, I don't like I don't want to hear about your career. I want to get into this conversation with you. And um, and and that's a testament to you and how approachable you are and how you're able to 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 not make somebody feel like they're beneath you or above you, but that we're equal. Like instead of wanting to ask you questions about your career, I've got like 50,000 social questions that I got that I want to really have a conversation with you about. And and that's having been on radio and having done zillions of interviews. Um, that's an incredible trait to have. Oh, that, that's, that's very nice. But you know, that's just conversation uh, to me. And thank you so much for that. Cause that really, that is very affirming and it's really what we've tried to do over the years and you know, what I'm going to be doing in my next little venture here. But um, you know, I really believe in the power of conversation. I just, we, we, you can't make change until you make relationships. So if we're, you and I are now in a relationship together and we're going to have this great conversation. Whoa, wait, wait, don't wait, wait, that that yeah, yeah, so we got a time out on that. My girlfriend's right behind me. You're, <laughs> you're going to over here and say that we're in a relationship. Put that on the old Facebooker. No. Okay. So let me, let me rephrase and reframe as we say, which is another thing. We must never be afraid to rephrase, reframe and clarify. Right. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, we're going to have this like lovely friend relationship where we know each other now we're talking about things that are important to us. And I just feel like when you have that kind of foundation, uh, you can have more conversations and, and you can do more things together. And then you have this little army of friends and neighbors who I, I believe more people than not are very motivated to make the world a better place. And they just, they just need company along the way and some knowledge about how to do that. Now I have a question for you because I, I traveled for a long time playing music and and I got a chance to meet a lot of different people in a lot of different places. So I I like to ask questions about uh, things along the lines of, you know, before you did the radio, you were in the field and, you know, you got a chance to go out there. I want to know what it felt like before you went out in the field. I want to know, like, what kind of jitters did you have a little like pregame ritual kind of thing did you have anything going on because i know if you're sitting there on a carrier winds flying Mm. in your head and you got a guy trying to yell at you and you're trying to get a story i mean there's all kinds of things flying around anxiety and stress in the environment you're in or you could be you know hanging out at a spa somewhere getting a really nice story for (laughs) once you know but i mean is there anything cool because i know like journalists especially anybody listening to the podcast that wants to get out there like with mike gooding and get on the story you know uh but more for you investigations happen on the radio which is great i love radio and i love music and stuff so you know tell the audience and tell me you know was there anything did you get the hairs come up on the back of your neck on a few of these i mean do you remember starting yeah out, mm. so so that's interesting when you think about a, a pre-game ritual or something <laughs> what has marked my career has been my own uh naivete i'm just gonna say that because i found things happening to me that i had not ever anticipated ah, uh, and, and that's just to go with the moment kind of thing go in the moment and here we are and let's do this that's hard so to, I was, to do by the way 
Yeah. I mean, but, but if you're just, you know, if you're just so naive coming into uh, kind of a natural given state, but you know, we heard Mike talking about the helicopter story, um, you know, some of his stories in helicopters mm-hmm. last week. And I was reminded, I mean, this is, you know, I, one of the things when I was at wavy from 81 to 87, I was a military reporter and the new, uh, show host and so we were we were covering these nato exercises um in the north atlantic and we were oh it was so great i mean that that was so much wintertime or summertime uh this was fall so it wasn't awful but if you fell in the water you were probably not gonna (laughs) live to tell that tale so um so so we're we were put in this little tiny helicopter i mean it was tiny uh it was a, a royal navy helicopter and there was a pilot, uh, another guy who was like, it was too small to have like a co-pilot sitting next to myself and one other person. So well, I guess you we guys were, were sitting linear. One, you were behind the individual. This, this. I was behind the pilot. Wow, that's a small chopper. Yes, exactly. I mean, literally, that's what it was. So uh, and it's all I mean, it's all clear all around. It wasn't like one of those where there's like a bunch of metal and then a little. Like it was like all bubble. window all around. Yes, right. exactly. So I guess we were flying back to care. I don't remember the specifics of the story, but I'm kind of looking out, you know, and as I say, my, I'm thinking, OK, well, if this doesn't go well, I am going to die in that water because. It's really cold. <laughs> and when they put you in the suit to get in it, it's like a cold, wet suit. It's like, oh, oh OK. You- had to so, wear one of those orange uh, water safety suits or something. Yes. Get yes. Out. So this is what I'm saying. When this is what I'm saying, I'm naive. <laughs> the minute I'm stepping into the suit, I'm like, oh, somebody believes there's a possibility this is not going to yeah. go well. <laughs> <laughs> might not come back. <laughs> right. So I'm like, this, that's the moment, not the helicopter. That's the moment where it's dawning wow, on me. I'm sorry. No, I, go I, ahead. Go ahead. I honestly think more people feel that way than you think. Probably. Yeah, it, maybe. It, 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 because it's it's never, um, you know, the excitement of getting in a helicopter is like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Which even it's my not dad's a, done and I've never done. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that when you're putting on the safety and they say, yes. okay, <laughs> if this happens, remember to do this. Right. That's what it's like, wait uh, a minute. Uh, so I, I thought we were kidding back there. Yeah, yeah no, that, this is not fun and gay, right? right. So anyway, we you're get really up in the air. This thing, aren't you? Exactly. So we get up in the air and somehow we had some kind of headset where we could hear the or I guess no, I, we didn't have a headset. You should you shouldn't have heard anything. Yeah, I, that's right. I don't think we did, but here's what happened. Yeah, so here's what happened. Guy in front of me, everything's fine, we're moving along, fine, fine, fine. He's all of a sudden screams, What the bloody hell was that? No. And I look out my left side and I see this rockety missile kind of thing Whoa. go past me get out you know swear swear and here's this is what i'm saying i'm a very naive person because you know what i thought what? well they have really made this exercise very lifelike and very realistic <laughs> <laughs> oh they have a flare going up and and that's <laughs> really something so uh, we get on the ground and this guy is shaken up we get on the ground or wherever it was we we're going and that's right. We were from the carrier to the ground and I'm looking at him and I said, you seem, you seem really shaken up. <laughs> he says, did you see that? Whatever it was that went by the road thing. I said, yes. And he said, if that had been a microsecond 
of a different trajectory, it would have hit the blade. We would have been in the drink, you know, no question about it. So I was like, oh, okay. I'm glad I know that now and not then. But um, (laughs) so they did this big investigation and um, Reuters that night, there was this, you know, news story about this thing went wrong. It was the Danish military that, that shot this thing off. And uh, yeah, so Danish, so they're, they're having little conversations within the Alliance trying to figure that out. And uh, so anyway, I saved that because I thought, but I, that's what I mean when I say I'm naive, like I thought it was, oh, they're just making this very realistic. What's that? Can you oh yeah, that I got. Headline? Oh, I own that story. Oh yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> the, let, let me tell you, I think that that's you call it naivete, um, but I think that's essential. Mm. Uh, and and I'll tell you why because it allows you to go into a story wide open and 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 not have a, a predisposition or mm. not or not be worried. You know, because I mean, if if you'd have known that, hey, there's a possibility someone's going to shoot a <laughs> missile at you and and, and uh, it's going to knock you out of the air. Well, then are you doing the story or are you worried about getting knocked? Out you know, that you, yeah, that you're going to get knocked out of that's the air. A, that's an interesting that's an interesting point. Well, I'm an interesting guy, yeah. so I come up with interesting. <laughs> uh, I can tell. That's why it's, we. That's why we keep him around. Yeah, and and well, you should. Oh, Thank, you. Thank you. Now, but, Kathy, but, uh, I was fascinated in reading your background uh, about your husband and about these these essays you did as oh, the, yeah. uh, the spouse of a clergyman and Hallmark Channel. Uh, these made it to the Hallmark what? Channel. What? Yes, yes. This oh, was cool. years ago. This was years ago. But it, you know, when when uh, we've been married now 31 years uh, and when we first oh thank you i pre- it is you know let me tell you something it says marriage is not you know work it, <laughs> it is and so when we uh, got married the it's first a relationship all, thing you know exactly exactly <laughs> but when we got married you know first of all all the clergy were male at that well most of the vast majority of them were male they were you know married to women i mean i'm not i'm just telling you how it was back in 81 hmm. and and many of those women did jobs like um nursing and education things that they could sort of you know travel with and i was really the only one who had an unusual career in in comparison so so that's what the whole shtick of the series was is just these funny things that happen when church communities think they're getting two people for the price of one and what it was like to be in a church community where i didn't i was a terrible singer sound like a business yeah where i could yeah where i where i don't play the organ where people just expect you to know things like you know where the christian ed meeting is going to be and you're and i so the thing i would try to do is say you know would you ask your accountant's wife you know where your w-2 was no of course you wouldn't because you wouldn't expect them to know that so it was just kind of a funny look at things that happen and sort of expectations that people have and how that changed over the years because you know when um when we did get more female clergy um there's and and if they were married to men which at that point that would have been the situation um it felt to me like the men were never expected to do quite the level of support you know that the women were so i was kind of gently i always find it you, you can take a sledgehammer to a thing or you can kind of in a humorous way point something sure. for people to take a look at. So that's always been more my style. How so they much? were on the Hallmark Channel for a bit of time. And now I think oh. uh, then I think they put them online somewhere. Yeah, cool. How much of your uh, future venture in the podcast world do you want to talk about? Cause sure. That, that, this sounds fascinating. Well, you know, I, here, here's here's the thing. Um I, as I thought about what my next step would be, I can't lose 
conversation and I can't lose connection with people. That's what that's what makes me go. And so, so you're um, saying you'll come back on the show. Of course, I'd love to. <laughs> no, she's saying she's going to have her own show. Yeah. No, I definitely will. And I would definitely have my own show. Yeah, so I'm going to probably announce that formally in the next week or so. I mean, it's no no big secret, but um, I, I am going to do a podcast. I need to. The, the couple of things that drove it were the I were these things. Um, I am horrible with technology, but I feel like the technology is now at a level where even I, with some assistance, might be able to do it. And so, Kathy, you can totally do it. Just yesterday, I got Joe Flanagan to figure out how to plug a professional SM58 with a real microphone cable into an audio interface, and it works. That means... John, that those words mean nothing to Kathy. Okay. I'm Here's just saying. what I heard. Here's what I heard, John. Blah 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 blah. Well, you can do it. Well, thank you. I I will be calling you. I'm sure. I'll early be on. listening. Oh, please um, do. I would love to help out any way I can. I would be grateful for that Call because me. I'm thinking it's going to be like 20, 30 minutes. And and candidly, what I'm going to try to do is some of the conversations that we've had on hearsay over the years. But with the idea that I can be a little more uh, disclosive and a little more uh, in the conversation, if that makes sense, because. So if you cut by accident, it's going to be okay. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, there are some in, in here's the thing the last year or so has taught me, you know. When you go to journalism school, you grow up, you think, well, there are always two sides to every issue. Sometimes there are not two sides. Some science, sometimes there's, you know, human dignity, and that's the side we all have to be on. So I want to be able to say those things, and I want to be able to, um, you know, I want to be able to do the things that I care about, that I that I hope more people would care about. And my eventual goal, it, or my ultimate goal, I suppose, is to just continue to bring cool people from this community into the awareness of others and to connect people who are doing good work to make the community a better place. And if I can do that, I'll be I'll be very happy with my. Do you? Do Kathy, you have? I'm she sorry. said, "Cool people, guys, we're out." I'm sorry. To tell you that. <laughs> Not so. Do you Not have so a? At uh, all. Do you have a strategy on how to uh, expand your listenership? I told these guys when we started dudes, when I used to be on channel 13, there were 50,000 homes automatically (laughs) watching. Yes. Uh, Yes. uh, Five people. Now I can't even get these guys to share my Facebook post to the show. How do you, how do you build an audience? You know, that's a great question. I have been slowly building my social media tribe or whatever we call that, you know, possibly or whatever. Um, so I, I, so that was, was with intention, you know, I'm, you know, so I've got, uh, I'm, I'm almost 2000 Twitter followers, which is not great in the scheme of things, but I'm getting there and I probably got, you know, I don't know, 8,000 on Facebook or whatever. So a lot of it I think is going to be through social media, but the other thing I think it's going to be is, you know, and Joe, this is such a great point you just raised. So I don't know how many people we have listening to the show because the station, um, you know, hasn't it doesn't per- to subscribe to the rating service. So we really don't know. But back when we did, uh, and this been decades ago, so the numbers probably out. It was probably close to the range that you're you're talking about. Yeah. So I figure I'm not I'm not foolish enough to think that every one of those people is going to convert. But you know, if you get one percent of them to convert that's you know that's 30 that's what is that three to five thousand folks so if you get them hooked and they love what you're doing then they tell their friends and that's my strategy is to ask people who are fans to say would you please share this with your networks and see if we can build this Uh, here's what here's what i'll tell you 
Kathy, as a please give me advice. As a as a guy who did podcasting for years, yeah. um, and and I was actually pretty decent at it. Um, I'm sure. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Alfredo, tell her. Tell her what the, <laughs> what the title podcast was. was. <laughs> My podcast was on zombies. Alrighty then. Yeah, a niche market. Too. Very, well, very let me tell you. I, you Absolutely. know what? Laugh. Yeah, say whatever you want. I did my master's thesis on zombies. <laughs> yes. Seriously. Right, and, and, yeah. Oh, dead serious. And there's the there's the masters right up on the wall, so you can take a look at it. Oh my hey, gosh, that's fascinating. And, and it, it well, it's it was the metaphoric representation of zombies in George Romero films and how it's affected by your level of fandom. And we could really go into that. In the, oh my but, gosh. But, wow. But here's here's the thing. Um. I had when, when when I did my my podcast, I had a worldwide audience and it started because of word of mouth. I think really, you, I really I, I, I had I I had one fan from Australia who I ended up meeting up in D.C. Uh, she she came she came all the way from Australia and part of, of her trip to America was to meet me. Oh my wow. God! And, and that's and and that's and that's a true story. I've, I've here, but here's the thing: the, the the thing about it is this. I believe you're going to get there because you are a fascinating woman, and you are incredible. I I honestly, I just want to keep talking to you. <laughs> yeah, oh, um, that's so nice. And 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 I think I, I think you're going to thrive in this, um, in this uh. There's no red in tape industry. here, Kathy. You can just let it. Well, fly. it's not red tape. It's the reach. When you're when you're on when you're on HRO, you you can only reach the people who are yes, uh, who are within you know the the, the wattage. Yes. Now, if 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 you're saying something or, or I I catch your podcast and I put it on my social media. Now it goes out across the country. And if people pick up from that, now it goes off across the world. Across you know, a lot of different demographics, too. And, and, and again, I, I, I think, and, and trust me, I, I stopped watching the news because of a, a, a lot of, um, it's not journalism to me anymore. It's, it's, it's opinion. But I think you have an incredible ability to to have those conversations without somebody getting defensive because oh, it, nice. for, it, for me, I, I hate when people say, let's have a conversation <laughs> because nobody wants to, nobody wants to have a conversation. That they just want you to listen to their sometimes. point. <laughs> but I think with you, we can have a conversation easily. Gosh, you know, I hope so. I, I, hope so. I, I honestly believe that. And, 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 and trust me, I'm not blowing smoke up. Uh, you're behind because I don't need to, and I don't care uh, about <laughs> people's married. feelings for the most part. Um, <laughs> but but you are, but um, I am at awe, and it makes me regret not having paid more attention to you when I was down in Hampton Roads and when I was on the air, um, because I think you could have you definitely could have influenced my style of radio um, and my style of podcasting. I I, I think you. you 
I, I, I don't see anything but success for you. I, I mean that I, honestly. Wow, that's so kind. And may I say your lips to God's ears, because this is the yeah. scariest thing I've ever done. I mean, you've done radio, you know, it feels like the scariest thing in the world to turn loose of that microphone. And I think we, well, I'll be honest about this. I think a lot of people, maybe Joe, Joe is a, Joe is, Joe is such a good guy, probably doesn't have this issue, but you know, one of the things I think we all secret, many of us secretly fear is that if we lose the microphone, we lose who we are and nobody will, you know, pay attention to us or know us or be friends with us or whatever. So, I mean, I do think there's that. I I always think people who go into broadcasting were probably the kids who didn't get to sit at the cool kids table, you know, in school. (laughs) And we're like, we'll show them. Right. Oh goodness! There's a reason I'm still doing this. I've been ten right? years out of the business, you know. I do have my ham radio license. Does that qualify me for the table? No, absolutely. No, it doesn't. Don't don't let John. Don't tell John that. Your podcast is what qualified you for the table, not ham. Well, thank you for the encouragement. The I really so tab. appreciate it. No, I, yeah. I I mean it. Yeah. I, I mean it seriously, Kathy. I um. You know, as I've been, I, I like I told you, I don't do research. I, I just don't. I think that that to me makes the the conversation ingenuous. It really, mm. does. Mm-hmm. but um, when when Joe sent out your bio, I actually mm-hmm. read it, <laughs> and uh, and it was fascinating. Yeah, and I went into this podcast today to talk about your career. Mm. But you have made me so uninterested in your career because of your ability to talk where I don't want to know what you've done. I want to know you today. I want to talk to you today. What you did in the past is irrelevant to me because this conversation today has shown me who you are. That's such a kind thing to say. I I will tell you, I think we are all the sum of our experiences and Mm -hmm. I have I have been threatening to do this podcast in my own brain. I, that's what I call it for four years, but I just, you know, the moment is the moment and it's right. The, you're right. Alfredo. It is the present. It is what we bring to the moment. It is the summation of our experience and, and, and then, you know, sort of putting us in a, a moment in time where the, the forces line up and the thing that you have been scared to do for four years, you're just like, I got to stand on the high dive and just take the lead. Well, with your, your goes. gift of gab, I'm I'm sure it's going to be a success. No No, question. No question. Well, we see uh, or hear you uh, again in moments at public media or uh, any commercial stations. I I hope so. I hope so. You know, this is the other thing. One of the things that I will now be able to do. um, I believe me, I have loved public radio. I have nothing but good things to say about it, but there are limitations. So, for example, I can't do really voice work anywhere because my voice would be tied to the public radio. So if I do a window commercial, I'm just making that up, uh, you know, that, that would be concerned about that. So yep. now that I'm going to be doing my own thing. That's been the hardest thing to really shift to is, oh, wait a minute. I can do that. I can do that. I got to think about that. Yeah. But I would love to go. Um, I'd love to do some narration of audiobooks, for example. I'm a real big fan of audiobooks, And I just mm-hmm. think that's a that would be something fun. Um, so I'm going to do some of that. I'm also going to do, a much, I hope to do much more speaking 
than I was able to do before. Um, you know, I, I like lunchtime gatherings of organizations and, you know, talking to people and stuff. So I hope to get to do a little bit more than that. And then I've done professional speaking as well. Of course, that market shut down like a big dog at, yeah. over the last 14 months. So I'm hoping yes. to kind of reignite that as well. Um, but I just like to be with people. That's just the bottom line. And I, uh, I would be a sad person without people. So um, that those are some of the things that I'm going to do, Joe. The other thing I'm going to be really be working hard on two things in the coming year. I'm the co-chair of the board of trustees at the Williams School in Norfolk. So that's going to uh, be a real focus for the next year. And then the other thing I'm very just deeply concerned about is the state of local print journalism and what's happened happening mm-hmm. to our paper and mm-hmm. the threat that our paper faces from the, um, from the takeover by a hedge fund of the company that owns our papers. So mm-hmm. I always say to people, to people say, well, the newspaper isn't what it used to be. That's true. It isn't what it used to be. Very little in our lives would be what it used to be if we lost 50% of it. I mean, you know, come on. And um, But this hedge fund thing is really could take this already, you know, decimated product and and really um, kill it even further. And I'm really concerned about that because we need people who are out there doing the digging. And, you know, you know this, Joe, because you've heard this in the, throughout your journalism career. Um, there's one definition of media, which is that it's the role is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And, you know, I, I think we need watchdogs keeping an eye on on government. We need um, we need folks exposing wrongs. Um, you know, there was this I just think about this in the last year. Um, Gary Harkive, great investigative reporter at the Virginian Pilot, um, got a tip that they were actually strip searching small children when they went to visit their parents who were incarcerated. So, I mean, wow. think about that. You've got a parent who's incarcerated anyway. You go to visit and you get strip searched. Well, he uh. discovered this and really went to work on that story. And the General Assembly has now completely outlawed that practice and really put focused attention on it. And so, you know, that sort of circles back to the beginning. I just think journalism is a force for good in the world. Uh, but you have to be able to you have to be able to call out what's wrong and change it. And if we don't have people fulfilling that function, then folks are going to get away with an awful lot. That's that's my concern. So those are the things that I'm also going to be working. And on. while we're discussing Virginia Pilot, as we speak, just got the sad news of long time oh. reporter. Uh, yes. Larry Bonko passing away. So sad to see that. Let a good yeah. life. 86 years old, yeah. 87, 86. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and for those of us, uh, as I, I don't like to think of us as an old, I like to think of us as people of longstanding, uh, you know, would, would, would be so anxious to get good coverage from Larry. Larry covered radio, television, movies. He was kind of that kind of guy. Um, and we would all be anxious to get good coverage. Uh, I will never forget the day that Larry Bonko described me as Ed Hughes in a skirt. And I, think, <laughs> I believe in my heart he meant that as a compliment. But I just have to tell you, you know, yeah. yeah. I and I loved it. Uh, so. When I first came to uh, PM Magazine at Channel 3 in 1980, he did an introductory piece on me. And I had told him I had been a sports reporter back in Dayton, Ohio, yeah. before I came down here. And in so many words, he worded toward the end of his article, Joe should go back to the locker room. Oh! I would have loved to see what he would have said about me. <laughs> <laughs> but to his credit, 
to his credit, yeah. he did a piece when I was retiring and even in his, he was 80 by then. And he yeah. researched me so much that he told me he discovered my great great grandmother is listed as the first professional business woman in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, wow. I didn't know, but God love Larry. you didn't know that. All wow. his digging, look what he came up with at age yeah. 80, still a consummate Incredible. reporter. Yeah. And that's the thing about print journalists. They will yeah. dig like that. I yeah. mean, you know, we'll just go out and do the story and have a good time and that's fine. But those guys will do the digging and we yeah. need them. Yeah, we definitely need them. I can't let you leave without telling me how you got that first job at Wavy. Was it oh. an ad in the paper or? Did oh, you that's actually them? funny. That's actually funny. So I was working. I was I had come out of Marshall and I thanks the sweet baby Jesus. I got a job <laughs> right out of school, um, you know, covering the West Virginia legislature. I didn't even know where it was. I mean, I knew it was in Charleston, but it was it was a different time. Just it was in, it was in West Virginia. It was. It was in Charleston. It was the big building with gold on top. That's how I knew it. So, so, but, you know, after a couple of years, you know, you, you, Huntington is a lovely place to raise a family. It's really been through some tough times. But when you're, you know, 22 ish by this time, you know, you, you kind of, I thought I was going to be a foreign correspondent and stop in a couple of places and then go right straight up to, um, uh, you know, DC and then to London. And I would be in a trench coat outside. Wow. of that, <laughs> that was my dream. Love that it. was my dream. Love so, it. So I'm, so I'm trying to start this, 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 straight line march to the top and so it you'll remember this joe back in the day we didn't have the interwebs so our we had this thing called broadcasting magazine and that is how you found jobs absolutely the back of the part was the most read part of broadcasting because it was all the jobs posted so it was such a laborious process you'd find the job you'd have to put a tape together and then you'd have to you know type write all of your little cover letter and all the rest anyway Yes. I saw one that said East. I'd been looking for a job for about a year by that point. And it said East Coast Television Seeks, you know, General Assignment Report. And when you are in Huntington for that long and then you've been looking for a year, you really don't care on the East Coast where it is. (laughs) So so I applied for it, had no idea. And um, and then so they called me for an interview. I said, well, that's great. This is very exciting. They did not want to bring me in. They could not afford to bring me here for an interview. And that made me nervous because I was like, well, if they can't afford room, right. not going to be. So I turned. So I said, well, thank you. I'm, I'm going to keep looking. And I was so scared to do that because I just thought I'll never get another opportunity. Well, the same station got taken over by at that point, uh, Lynn Broadcasting, which which dumped sure. all kinds of money into it. Yeah. And so they called me again. And this time they flew me in. And I loved it. And it was great. I had no idea. That was when I found out where the station was when they called for the interview. That's true. And so flew in. I loved the water, loved all that stuff was great. Um, And but but it was very interesting. And this was that was absolutely without question the most fun year of my career because the company put a million dollars into the news operation. And at that wow. time, a million dollars was a whole bunch of money. This was, was 1981. Yeah. Right. And so I walked in. And when I walked into that newsroom, I was part of the new team they brought in. And this is a true story. We were number four in the market at six o'clock behind 
Gilligan's Island. No. Yes. Oh, I mean, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's in the basement. That's as well, in the basement. What year was this, yeah. Kathy? 1981. Let's, 81. Be, fair. Let's yeah. be fair. Gilligan, uh, he put on a hell of a show. Let's- yeah. Indeed so. I would argue <laughs> that that is correct. So it was, there was the, this new team that came in. It was myself, it was Terry Zahn. It was Bruce, it was not Bruce Rader. It was uh, Don Slater, Diana yep. Morgan, who now is yep. you know, an actress in uh, other places. Um, there were a whole bunch of us that are Bob still Grip might have been the anchor. What's that? Bob Grip might have been the Bob Grip exactly was the anchor, and Bob yeah. was one of the ones they brought in. That's exactly right. So uh, we it was it was the most fun because within one year we came from number four to number one in the market, and we had this maniacal news director who was very socially awkward, but honest to God, that guy worked night and day, and he was inspiring. We had great station management. Um, nice. I remember the first story. Now, you know, again, I'm very young. I just put all my stuff in the U-Haul, brought it across the mountain and, you know, whatever. So the first story I did was at night. It was a school bus wreck in Carsville. Next day, I come to work and I'm doing my thing. And the GM comes down. He was a massively tall man and he towers over my desk. I sat right in front of Don Roberts at that point. And he said, hey are you the new girl? Cause you know, you can say things like that in those days. <laughs> are you the new girl? And I looked up and I thought, Oh, sweet Jesus. I just turned the, I just turned the you all in. This is going to be bad. And I said, you know, sir. And he said, I want to talk to you about that story you did last night. And now I'm, I'm just thinking, I knew I should have never left. Yeah. I knew I should have. And he says, that was the best thing we've had on the air oh, in the last oh, six months. And I'm glad geez. you're here. And I just want to tell you that. And that's all. And he turned around on his heel. Oh, and, and you were, he said, it was, he said, that's all. I just wanted you to know, I'm glad we picked you and keep doing the good work. And he was like, really scowling. And he turns around and left. And I thought to myself, I'm not kidding you. I don't remember what I made that year. But what I remember is that man, what I did, impressed him so much that he came down from the on high and yeah. told me that and honest to god i would have walked on hot coals for that man <laughs> I, I mean he didn't i would have done anything and that's the way the newsroom was at that point you know we were all in it to win it and it was exciting and um that was truly i think my fo- most fun except the year that's coming up that was my most fun year very very good and and wavy then started a trend uh climbed yes, out of the basement sure and for maybe till this day have been number one yeah i mean and they've got great leadership over there now i've had a pleasure to get to know mark kurtz over there he is uh he's just sharp and and they're really doing some good. I mean, everybody, all the locals are, but I, I just am impressed with him particularly because um, he, he, you know, one of the local city council people in Portsmouth was taking them on, on some stuff. And he just came right to the defense of his people. And that's always an impressive skill of leadership. And it's something that quite frankly, I don't know that we see enough of, but he just very publicly stepped up behind the reporter and said, no, sir, what you're saying is not right. I'm proud of these people. I'm proud of what they've done. And, and so that young reporter is going to have the same experience I did. And she'll probably want to walk on hot coals for that guy. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. these are very inspiring moments. Very good. Well, well I Kathy, think. Can I ask one more question? Yes, of course. I said in that article, you had interviewed uh, Anderson Cooper, James Carville yes. and Tucker Carlson. Yes. Well, <laughs> you couldn't have, you couldn't have found three more different 
philosophies <laughs> and personalities than those three guys. Yeah, yeah. But was there any one? Was there any one uh, um, or a couple of yeah. people that you interviewed that you felt uh, you know that guy was really interesting or that was? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I think I think uh, Tucker is. I don't know where his head is these days, but at the time when I interviewed him, he was just a, a super nice guy who, you know, obviously had a different view of the world than James Carville did, but we had a very interesting conversation about it. That was through the, uh, the Norfolk forum. Um, so, and by the way, Norfolk forum is a great lecture series. One of the oldest continuously operating in the country. So I don't quite know what's going on with Tucker at the moment, but, um, but, but then he, he was just delightful. James Carville, I, I he, we 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 have this dinner before the forum. He never ate a thing, and I'm I'm looking at him in person. I'm like, you never eat. I'm pretty sure he's just a, a he is just a ball of energy. Just he whatever you see on TV, I promise you, I've never seen somebody for whom the what you see is what you get is as true as it is for James Carville. He is exactly like that in real life. And Anderson Cooper, I'm just going to tell you, you know, for somebody who. Let's face it. I mean, he probably now has all the money in the world because he inherited the glory of Vanderbilt fortune, you know, but that dude has worked hard and he has really distinguished himself and he's a very kind person. And I think sometimes when these big people come to town, my where I always assess them is is are they bringing the same energy to Norfolk, Virginia that they would bring to New York City? And and Anderson Cooper absolutely did that. He was charming, affable, generous. You know, he donated his fee when he was here to buy canine vests for the Virginia Beach police dogs. Nice. So, uh, awesome. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got all the money in the world. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, he didn't, but he still doesn't have to do that. Right. So that was really impressive to me. And that's so, awesome. Yeah. My brush with uh, greatness. Do you remember when Muhammad Ali came to the <gasps> beach? Oh, Muhammad my Ali And he said he would be down at the old Cavalier. And if people wanted to meet him, you could come down there, line up and shake his hands. So no I go down God. there and the line came out of the Cavalier down the hill onto Pacific Avenue. And I got oh in it. <laughs> oh my it, God. it was an hour and a half of one step at a time. Climb yeah. the stairs, da, da, da. finally get up there. Three beautiful women in front of me. He kisses all three of them with his gorgeous smile. It's my turn. I shake his hand and I say, champ, I wish I were a woman right now. <laughs> he leaned over and he gave me a peck on the cheek. I'm like, I'll never wash that cheek again. That's crazy. <laughs> He got invested in some uh, camera camera company at Hilltop or something, so he made a personal appearance. Oh, that that's hilarious! Awesome. That's a that is uh, that is awesome. I've never heard anything. That's like a that. great that's story. That was the cool thing, Kathy. On occasion, the people we got to interact yes. with because of our jobs. Yeah, mm -hmm. man, I, that's the that's the thing I just value the most. I got to interview Little Richard. Oh. Um, <laughs> Who was 100% exactly as you might imagine. That no was kidding. The most fun interview. Was he in person or on the phone? Oh, yeah, in person. He was at oh. Wavy Studio. Yeah, he was in town for doing something. I don't know what it was. Oh. But I mean, he, it, we, we, you know, the time frame of the interview elapsing. Well, let's talk more. And I'm like, sure, let's talk more. <laughs> the controller Isn't that guy. the greatest feeling in the world? Oh, it's the best. Yes. Uh, best. I, I, yeah, I interviewed Rob Zombie, and I know that's not Little Richard or Mom. Muhammad Ali. I hear he's cool. Um, but you know what? 
it was one of those things where they said, okay, you're going to get five minutes. And I yeah. said, okay. And the first thing I asked him was about his comic book collection. And I guess it caught him off guard. Yeah. And so we started having a, this conversation and his, his uh, tour manager came in three times because we talked for about 20 minutes. Wow. And, and the third time he came in, we were on the air and I was, and, and he walks in, he goes, Rob, we got to go. Come on. And, and, and he's giving me this look like, <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? You're only supposed to have five minutes. And I'm just thinking, this is Rob Zombie. Yes. I'm I'm going to talk to him as long as he wants to talk <laughs> to right. me. Rob's really that? running the show. Right, <laughs> right, right. You know, he's not getting up the lead. Don't look at no. me. <laughs> yes. Yep. Kathy, and I have, and- these these guys have heard this story when uh wheel wheel of fortune came to town in the mid 90s did a whole week at the uh, carrier at the (laughs) naval and i'm out there to interview pat and vanna well on this day the first day there merv griffin came along with them get out chance to go up and interview merv griffin shake his hand hey mr griffin joe flanagan here local reporter looking forward to talking with you and he starts going flanagan 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 hmm let me see flanagan griffin flanagan griffin boy that's got a nice ring to it flanagan griffin i'm dying so after the interview i said to my photographer dude give me that tape i gotta save this one i'm going to hollywood baby and my photographer says i'm sorry dude i wasn't rolling i don't have any of that stuff that's why you oh, what did i say that's why you always roll the minute yep, that we yep, get yep, on yep, you yep, record yep. man yeah yep. Torres, you how you yelled at me for a good like 40 minutes for not rolling at least on the first two podcasts always <laughs> you oh the the minute you connect you you start recording because you don't know what gold is going to come out that is so true so true you know, which means hey, Joey, i got us yelling at my dad in this earlier you know which is b-roll later right yeah and that was entirely my fault tony i am sorry no no listen uh joe you brought up that that uh, uh wheel of fortune thing well i was gonna say you you couldn't get a kiss out of anna white but you got a kiss out of oh, Muhammad yeah. Ali. That? very go. good very good uh, Kathy, in uh, about the first year I did features, Jan Stevenson was a real sex symbol in Lady Oh, Golf. sure. Yeah, I and remember. She was yeah. out in Suffolk. And so at the end of my story, I said, it'd be kind of fun if we end this thing. And I, from the sex symbol, I just get a peck on the cheek. And she obliged. It was cute. Yeah. And it was harmless. And that's the way I ended the piece. <laughs> well, I'm thinking the whole time I'm interviewing Vanna in her tiny little dressing room, where we didn't even barely had room to stand there. I'm so close to her. And I'm thinking, do I ask Vanna what I asked Jan Stevenson? Yeah. And, and my wife, Cindy, hates me telling this story. <laughs> so at the end of all the questions, I went ahead and I asked her, Vanna, it might be kind of fun just to end this piece. I can see you give me a little peck on the cheek. I did it with Jan Stevenson, blah, blah, blah. She's looking at me the whole time, two inches from my face mm-hmm. and says, I don't do kisses. And uh-huh. I'm dying. And oh, wow. the same photographer who missed the Merv Griffin shot, now he's telling me, hang on, I got to get some cutaway shots. Oh my so God. He spins oh, around no. and he's looking at my face two inches from the woman who just completely oh, shot me down. Embarrassing. Oh, jeez. Joe, I just want to let you know it's because the attraction was so. Yes, it was so magnetic. Yeah, (laughs) that kiss would have turned into a hot. But Tony, Tony, you called it. I never compared the two stories. At least Muhammad Ali did. I don't need (laughs) that. I got the champ. 
All right, guys. We had a great conversation, but oh, Kathy's so got to go. Thank you all so much. I could talk all day. Honestly, this is um, this has been well, we'll so do it again. fun. At your Please, convenience, I would love to do it again. We're going to get an update on your life in like you know three or four months. Yeah, let me get this podcast on the air, and I am definitely going to be calling you guys. Um, Beautiful. And, and have, then, then you'll we'll have the gang and, on your show. Pardon me. You'll have the gang on your show. Absolutely, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe, you're not invited. Sorry, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Cool people. Remember that? Yeah, he's that knows. Last story. He just said I'm going to have the gang. I'm just going to have the gang. <laughs> Kathy, we're we're giving you a standing ovation, even though all four of us are sitting. Thank you Thank so you so much. much. This was yeah. so much fun, and I look forward to the next one. All right, okay. take care. You Go take care. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.
that you love They will come and go Won't see them every day 